Thanks for joining us today for the Post-Traumatic Faith Podcast, a place where trauma, hardship, and challenge meet faith and hope for the future. Here is your host, Jill Riley. Welcome to Post-Traumatic Faith. Season 3 has arrived. I am so excited to share with you this season new guests, new topics, and some great conversations. So tune in every week on Fridays. We will have a new episode. Also this season, we will celebrate our 100th episode. So stay tuned for that. Just happens to fall on my birthday, October 28th. So we will have a big celebration. Thank you so much for joining us. And here's today's guest. Welcome to Post Traumatic Faith. This is Jill Riley. And today we are joined by Loretta Miller, Horner Miller. I'm sorry. How are you today? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Doing great. So how, how is life in New Mexico right now? Well, it's hot. It's hot and dry. It's hot really, and dry. Really, yeah. Very good. Very good. So where did you grow up at? I grew up in southeastern Colorado on the New Mexico border in a little ranching community that was 50 miles from Raton. People okay. know that from I-25 and 50 miles from Trinidad. So out okay. on the plains, out on the plains. Were your family ranchers? Yes. My dad was a real cowboy. Yes. My grandfather put our ranch together during the depression when a lot of the uh, other ranchers and homesteaders were, you know, having, you know, giving up their places. And um, my brother and I still run it. I mean, we manage it. We, we're leasing it to someone else. Really? So how many years has it been? The family it's- in the family? Well, my grandparents came in 1927, so we're getting close to 100 years. So, oh wow! And so you raise cattle? Yes, that yes, Hereford. My my dad was a real Hereford man. Oh, cool! That's great. Well, my husband comes from a long line of farmers, so we spend we spend time out there, and it's just a totally different different world than living in the city, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is. It is. Yeah, I love it though. Yeah. So do you get to go up there very often? Yes. I Well, there, I, usually I go up once a month, but because of the pandemic, I wasn't able to go. And then currently I haven't been able to go because of some health issues, but I'm going up next week. So. Wonderful. Wonderful. So what was it like growing up on the ranch? Well, it wasn't, we didn't, we weren't actually out on the ranch. We were in the little ranching community. Maybe there was a hundred people counting all the people, dogs and cats. And um, I graduated in a class of four, two mm-hmm. boys and two girls. And I started kindergarten with those four people. So we knew each other. We knew each other's business. Um, it was very delightful. It was a great way to grow up. Our school was a small K through twelve. And uh, we had, when I was in school, we had 70 students K through Really? 12. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's great. I'm surprised there was that many in a small ranching community. I know so many are, you know, one, two room schoolhouses, you know, yeah. so that's great. That's great. So you have done some writing recently, you know, we're just coming through this um, pandemic season and all everybody holding their breath that, you know, that it won't come back again and that we'll be able to manage it better this time. But you did some writing and reflecting um, during this time and wrote a book called Bitter or Better. Yeah, the name of it is Coronavirus Reflections, Bitter or Better. Okay, what inspired you to start writing? Well, um, I 
I have been a writer for years. I was an English teacher and um, I ended up writing with my students. I, I, and so um, I wrote two books and put them on the back shelf and did my life for 30 years. And then I retired in 2013 and decided I needed something wonderful to do in retirement. And I've been writing ever since and self-publishing. And so the coronavirus reflection book was inspired by my weekly blogs. Um, we, my husband and I left Madrid, Spain on March the 8th. We were right downtown Madrid. We were, uh, you know, we had dinner Saturday night in a restaurant. We were in the airport Sunday morning and it was, uh, we noticed people had masks on, but we didn't really know what, you know, we weren't really that well informed on what was going on. We got right. home. Yeah, we got home on the 9th. We got, we left there on the 8th. Madrid or Spain had 500 cases. On the next day when we got home, they had 1,500 cases. So we, my husband and I were just absolutely, we were sure we were going to get it. So we self-quarantined. Self and I was, and I have been writing a blog since I think 2014 is when I started, I think. And so I started writing about what I was going through um, every week, you know, after that. And um, I also, it was put off about four or five weeks because I wrote about our trip to Spain. But I had been journaling and writing, so I just caught up with myself. And I, my my readers emailed me and said, thank you so much for putting into words what I was feeling. And so from that, I thought, you know what? Maybe I should put this into a book. So the blog post inspired the book. And Okay. Um, yeah. Well, well, my blog inspired this podcast. So... <laughs> you never know it where happens. a blog is going to go. Yeah. That's so true. what are some of the topics and the themes that you were writing about during that season? Well, I wrote a lot about my faith because I, um, I really struggled a lot with watching what was going on, uh, the fear I was feeling inside of myself. You know, I didn't even realize that I was feeling fear. Until I was at a, uh, I'm in the program of Codependence Anonymous, and a friend of mine at the, one of the meetings said that she was feeling fear, and it was like, oh my God, that's it, that's what I'm feeling. So I was, you know, I was dealing with fear, I was dealing with faith, I was dealing with isolation because I'm a real people person. I mean, mm -hmm. up until and up until the pandemic, my husband and I traveled. We um, uh, we square danced, we round danced, we traveled monthly to festivals. The isolation was just absolutely overwhelming. So I dealt with the full spectrum. I dealt with all the things that were going on at the time, you know, the, the mask mandates, shall we do it? Shall we not? You know, the different opinions that were flaring up all over the place. Um, I just dealt with the full spectrum of what was going on at the time. And I did it through poetry and prose. Okay. Interesting. You know, um, it was such a um, disconcerting and unbalancing time because we've never lived through um, something like that. And so, you know, all the closures and all the, you know, the restaurants and the, I mean, just all the weird things that were happening and some of them were completely illogical and some of them made sense. Yeah. Yeah, it was really well. My husband um, was turning at that point. He was turning to eighty. In fact, I I gave him a surprise birthday party in September on Zoom 
because we were locked in what was in 2020. And so we were shut down and um, he was turning 80. Both of us have had some health issues. So we were very conservative on how we responded to the pandemic. And that was a, in a lot of ways, that was a plus for me because um, by being, I'm, I'm such a goal person that by being forced to slow down and stay home, I was, it, I had a spiritual experience that was just amazing. You know, I, I've often told people, you know, the, the pandemic forced us to, we, that we couldn't go out. So I was forced to go in mm-hmm. and uh, that's what I did. You know, I really, and, and I, I, um, I feel like it deepened my, my, my spirituality. I know it did. Yeah. And tell me more about that. How did, in what ways did it deepen that? Well, you know, one of the poems that I wrote about was wrestling with God and my faith. And um, I think, you know, for me, I have what I feel like is a really honest personal relationship with my God. So I talk to him, we, we talk, we, I've had trauma in my life and I've had to deal with other things, nothing the size of the pandemic and the coronavirus. So I felt really free to, to take that opportunity and wrestle, wrestle with Mm -hmm. God and say, okay, you know, what's this about? Where are you? Why is this happening? Uh, but but never never um, never you know I never was someone who was going oh this is God's ju- you know judgment on the world no I, I right don't believe, right I don't believe that you know I just I have that sort of relationship that you know I prayed for mercy I experimented with all kinds of spiritual stuff I I read on the internet where during World War II at nine o'clock every night in in London, Big Ben rang and the people stopped and did did a prayer together. So I went on Facebook and I said, okay, folks, let's pray at nine o'clock for the pandemic. And we did that. And I've, I've done that for the, the war in Ukraine too. So, you know, I just, I knew, I knew, well, also one of the things I knew without a doubt was that I was going to come through this better, not bitter. And mm-hmm. that whole phrase, bitter or better, comes from the recovery world. And um, I, you know, I've, I've, it's, it's, it's a catchy little piece, you know, right. and I've always liked it. I've always liked it. But, but the heart of it is, is that, you know, life hands us a variety of things. I mean, trauma, struggles, pain, you know, whatever. And we can go through it and become better or better. And so what I wanted to offer people in this book was the opportunity to reflect because, you know, as a whole, I don't think our world is really one to reflect. You know, we're so busy we're so getting busy. on to the next thing and the next thing. Yeah, the next thing and the next thing. And and thinking that there's any residual um pain or trauma or effect from not looking at what happened to me during the pandemic, I think is something that people just don't think about. You know, it's like it's over, it's 2022 now. So I don't even have to worry about that. But I I just wanted to offer people the opportunity to, and it's kind of a, a phrase I've coined is that to read, reflect and respond. Because mm-hmm. the book is created that way. You know, I've got a really uh, compelling picture at the beginning of the, I'm a visual person, so I have a picture at the beginning of the chapter, then a quote that goes along with the theme of the chapter, then my experience in prose and poetry, and then 
reflection questions, question or questions that -hmm. somebody could then write about and think about and ponder what happened to them. So So it's really using the coronavirus as a conversation piece and as a vehicle to reflect on our own lives and our own inner space. Right, right. It really is. And, you know, I think if people were to take the time to look back at what happened, they probably, I think the majority of people would really have a, have a, an aha moment and go, wow, well, look at what, look at how I faced that beginning time when there was the toilet paper crisis and people were fighting in the aisles for the toilet paper, you know, and how I handled it and, and came and, and, and rose above it, you know, and became better in that instance. So yeah, I really, interesting. I th- yeah, I think it's an opportunity. Yeah, that's great. So you've referred a couple of times to the recovery world and to um, codependency. Um, I've been to my share of CODA meetings. So I'm wondering if you can um, tell us in your own words what um, codependency is. <laughs> Wait, well, I was gonna I was going to look up this highfalutin definition and get all real, you know, go, I went to (laughs) code.org and was going to get really, really uh, mind boggling. And I decided, you know, that's ridiculous. I need to speak from my own experience. For me, what codependency is, is when I put my focus out on someone else, something else, and it becomes my God. Now that may sound real strong, but as a person in recovery and codependency, I realized that I'm, I've, I've been married. I'm in my fourth marriage and thank God I found a good man the fourth time, but you know, the previous marriages, I made each one of the men and or in my life or the man in my life, God, they were, I looked to them for everything. And I, I got up in the morning and my, how I, how my day went was gauged by how their day went. And uh, it was um, it was horrible. Um, I faced it in uh, 1988. That's how I in 1988 I was working in Raton, New Mexico. This and it's so funny to me how God works. I went to a technology conference. I have a master's in technology. Went to a technology conference with the librarian at my school and his wife. And it was at um, one of the most beautiful places in Colorado, Glenwood Springs. And they have these mm. big, big, beautiful uh, bath, uh, swimming pools. And people go there for healing baths and stuff. Well, the librarian's wife and I had never met before, but we hit it off. So we're sitting on the edge of that beautiful swimming pool after I had been at workshops all day. And she had been out shopping. And her husband was swimming around. And so she said to me, she started talking to me about codependency and it sounded like something I no way that I had any connection with. And then all of a sudden she started sharing her story and it was like, Oh my God, it was me, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's the basis, the foundation of any recovery program is one hurting person sharing with another, their story. So from that point forward, I started to go to CODA meetings with her and realized, and I was in a really crazy, absolutely dysfunctional relationship at the time. And I realized that I was, I was drowning. Um, I ended up with her aid. I ended up in um, treatment and in the treatment process, I found out that I was an alcoholic. 
And the reason why that wasn't clear before I went to treatment was my first husband was an everyday drinker. So he was Mm -hmm. the one that I gauged alcoholism about. I was a binge drinker. I could go months without drinking. But when I started drinking, I never knew where it was going to take me. So when I entered the treatment for codependency, they they required that we go and look at our drinking issues first. Right. And and so um, when I got done with the questionnaire this second time, because I refused to do it the first time, um, the the um, uh, LPN looked at me and said, well, I think you're going to have to deal with your drinking issues first. And, and God in his infinite wisdom brought it up. You know, again, it was one person, one woman's story at a meeting. She retold my story. She was a binge drinker. And, and so, you know, it's been an amazing process. But the thing about codependency with being an alcoholic, I can quit drinking and the physical, you know, it's very, very obvious. Right. You, know, you can I take it drink. away. Right. It's it's very, very obvious. It's very easy to say, say you know, I've been sober for X amount of years because I have not had a drink. But with codependency, it's not easy to keep to delineate that whole thing. So what I did when I got through treatment is I went to meetings originally and then I just get well enough. I'd feel I feel good. And then I'd get involved in another sick relationship. I'd get married again. And it, the, you know, the whole thing would happen all over again. And then I would divorce. And then I'd come back to the swinging doors of codependency, codependence anonymous. And I did this repeatedly into, until 2008 when my last horrible marriage ended. And uh, I have been active and consistent ever since then. Wow. I was still... I was still working really hard at trying to do CODA all those other years because I knew the foundation of it, but, but the disease was rampant. Right. You know, that codependency is, you know, putting, putting someone else's needs and priorities and making them a priority above taking care of yourself. And, um, you know, those along with codependency, along with process addictions, like um, gambling and and sex addiction and all those, they're very hard to separate from yourself, because like you said, it's not a, it's not a chemical or a substance you can put away and take away from you. Right. 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 So, um, so how, in what ways, um, can codependency, I mean, you've told us a little bit about your story, but kind of in an overarching way, what are some ways that codependency can negatively affect a life? Oh, wow. I've got a personal family story. You know, I often at meetings and my, my friends that are at my meetings, they kind of, I kind of see, they don't roll their eyes. I think they really just say, thank God she, she continues with this message. I have an aunt. My dad was one of three. He was the oldest. He had a middle sister. Then he had a younger sister. And I truly believe that his middle sister died of codependency at age 56. Mm. She died of a broken heart. My dad had his dad to latch on to his his my aunt, his younger sister, had the mother to latch on to the middle child. And I'm not saying this happens to all middle children, but it did in this half family because of the dysfunction of that family. Uh, she had no one to latch on to. And uh, she spent her whole life, by the time she was um, in the dying process, she had breathing issues. She was a, a lifelong smoker. Uh, she had breathing issues so bad that she had just bags of um, medicine. She would go from one doctor to another doctor to another doctor. And um, it was, it was 
absolutely horrible to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I I was there whenever she she was living. I was living at dinner at the time, and I was you know I saw the end of her life. And uh, once I got in Dakota, when I read the book, Melody Beatty is the person that played a, a big part of my life. You mm-hmm. know, and she wrote Codependent No More. And when I read that book first. And I, I probably read that book before I, I had that conversation in Glenwood, Glenwood Springs. But when I read that book, I could see my aunt. I, I mean, you know, they say, you know, don't read those books for other people. Read right. it for yourself. I, you know, because it's very easy to say that's Coda. You know, I can right. see everybody on, on the page. But I could see my aunt. So I saw myself and my aunt. I cried at the end of that book knowing that. You know, that was, I guess I did read it after the, that was probably something that my friend suggested reading. Right, so, right. Well, thank you for, excuse me. It's just, it's a deadly disease like alcoholism. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing your perspectives on that. I think it's not something that we talk about very much and, um, and it's not, yeah, it's not really in mainstream conversation all that much. No, no, it's not. And it should be. Yes, it should be, because I think there's more people affected by that than um, we would even realize in our lives. Really? And I, I, you know, when you go to a, when you're a regular at a CODA meeting, at a recovery meeting, and you're there for years, you know, I've been in the Albuquerque area for 30 years. And um, when you're, when you go to meetings regularly, and you can now count on one hand, the people that were there when you got there. And the room's full. It does tell you that, um, right. you know, that there are a lot of people that come in. Um, they either um, get it or go out and get a life. And maybe they don't need meetings. I don't I don't mean to be judgmental. But but the reality of it is, is that there is a lot of people who come. They get a little bit of an education and they go out and they're lost to the world. And and and. For some, from from my knowledge, this is my personal knowledge. Being a what we call a dual winner because I'm in two programs. Right. I think that CODA is kind of like the foundational uh, mm-hmm. disease of all of all addictions, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's a sad one. It yes, really is. absolutely. Well, tell us how we can get a hold of the coronavirus reflections, better or better. My book is available on Amazon. Um, it's also available on my website. My website is, um, let me spell it out because my name is Lareda. L-A, and so the website is laredasbooks.com. So it's L-A-R-A-D-A-S-B-O-O-K-S.com. Laredasbooks.com. And okay. I have five other books out there. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing your perspectives with us today. And, and um, I just, um, you have some rich experience to draw from, and I just appreciate you sharing. Well, thank you. I know one of the things that I, I would just kind of like to end on is that the recovery programs for me and for many people bring us to a higher power. And mm-hmm. that is, you know, that is the God of my understanding. And I believe that it is through CODA and through many recovery programs that a lot of people are led back to their God. And um, that is just a, you know, a profound piece of the recovery world. It is. Absolutely. It's just essential piece. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Loretta. I really appreciate your time. 
you are welcome. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can find Jill at JillRiley.com, on Facebook at JillRiley.Author, Twitter at JillRileyAuthor, and Instagram at JillRiley.Author. Also, feel free to send Jill an email at Jill at JillRiley.org. Thanks for listening in and have a great day.